Hi, this is my of the Scorpions. You're listening to the Rock Solid Podcast. To be this is small town music, this is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he can't use it. If only he could prove it. Well, tomorrow's just a song away, a song away, a song away. Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis, and joining me today, you'll know this gentleman as the lead singer and songwriter for the past 50 years for one of the greatest heavy metal or hard rock bands of all time, Scorpions. Please welcome from Germany, Klaus Meine. Good morning, Klaus. Good morning. Hi, Pat. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Now, you've been in the Scorpions for 50 years. When you hear that number, how does that make you feel? Unreal, you know, it, it makes me feel like I'm in a comedy podcast, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I try to ignore that number, you know, and basically, you know, it's what it is. But at the end of the day, there are very few artists around who can uh, make it, you know, 50 years and even beyond, like amazing acts like the Stones, you know. But there are just a very few. So it's like, in a way, you become part of a very exclusive club, you know, and so therefore I'm pretty proud of it. And the word that comes to mind for me when you do something for that long, the word is success. You've been successful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's been a long ride. And especially starting out of Germany in the late 60s, you know, and uh, man, it's such a long time ago. You know, but uh, to become part of the international rock family, you know, it was always like the early days, like a dream, you know, like something you really wanted to go for, you know. And uh, but we were so very much inspired by American and British music that came over here in the, in the 60s. And uh, so you want to start a band and uh, then play and do your own thing you know and um it's been an amazing ride and looking back so it's hard to believe it's 50 years plus already uh and i don't think too much about it you know really? because we're just in the studio just about to finish a new album you know so and that's more or less that's all that counts at this right. point you know it's no looking back no looking uh, too much ahead in the future, you know, like going through this pan pandemic times. Uh, all we hope is uh, that we have a chance uh, in the near future to go back out on the road and present this new record, you know. And uh, so it's not so much looking back every other day. It's what's happening now. And are you still creative? You know, are the pipes are there? It's all good, you know. <laughs> and even getting older and every other year and you feel a bit like, ah, getting out of your bed in the morning. But when I feel my voice is still in a good place yeah. and being in the studio right now and just doing what, what, what I do, what I'm used to do for so many years, for so many decades, it's, 
a privilege, you know, to still be here and to do what I love the most, singing and performing with the band. And the fans are still here. And as far as if, if you're feeling a little creaky when you get out of bed, I know that when you hit the stage, that adrenaline kicks in and you're you're firing on all cylinders. So you got the voice, you got the adrenaline, so you guys will be ready to go. Let me ask you this. When you think of Scorpions, do you consider yourself a hard rock band or a heavy metal band? Because at times you could you could be both. Yeah, that's true. You know, but when we started, the term heavy metal was not even uh, invented. You know, it was yeah. like we started out like a, a rock band, and uh, yeah, I think we we became much more like of a hard rock band. But uh, you're right, going through all those years. And when you pick a couple of songs, you know, definitely we were also a heavy metal band. And I think like from our fan point of view from the US, you know, I think we're much more a heavy metal band. Yeah. But that's all cool, you know, and either you call it heavy metal or hard rock, whatever it is, we're a rock band, you know, yeah, and uh, we do what we do. And we try always to to find our, our own DNA, you know, and uh, Along the way, I guess we found something that is, especially when we talk about the new album, we try to get to this point where you come back to this typical Scorpions DNA. What makes the Scorpions the Scorpions? What is it what the fans around the world expect from a new album that comes out like, yeah, hopefully later this year, but who knows at this point? <laughs> yeah, well, fingers crossed on that. If I was to come up with a Mount Rushmore of four singers that have just distinctive voices like as soon as i hear them i know exactly who that is or who that band is it would be klaus rob halford of judas priest bruce dickinson of iron maiden and ronnie james dio like as soon as you hear those four guys you know exactly who it is and what you're gonna get and uh so before we continue i just want to thank you for that klaus because just amazing work Thank you for putting me up on Mount Rushmore, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's really, it's an honor to, you know, to be part of the very few singers you put up there, you know, and uh, makes me feel very, very good. And since I know all those guys for a long time, and uh, I know what they all can do with their pipes, you right. know, and it, it's it's amazing, you know. So, and I'm, I... I'm grateful, you know, for for my career and to be a singer in a band like Scorpions for so many years and uh, that I still can do it, you know. And uh, this is really when I wake up in the morning and uh, I realize today I will go to the studio <laughs> and I might cut another track today and uh, not uh, waking up like feeling... Oh, geez, I don't know what to do today. And will it work? Will my voice will be there? Or can I do this? Uh, no, not at all. There's there's no doubt at all in my in my entire system. You know, I go there and I, I feel so confident uh, that I do what I do. But of course, I, I learned along the way to take a little better care of my voice. Right. Uh, and so when, when I finally... Uh, Somebody hits the button in the studio, you know, I'm well prepared and my, my voice is ready to go. Let me ask you this, and you can tell the listeners, Scorpions has been through many lineup changes throughout the years. 
tell me who is currently in the band. Obviously, it's you and Rudolph and uh, Matthias. If I and am I pronouncing his name right? Matthias, yeah. Matthias. And Matthias. who else is who else is rounding out the lineup currently? Well, our bass player since 2003 is Pavel Matyvoda from Poland. Okay. And since 2016, uh, the legendary Mickey D uh, joined us, you know, and uh, I mean, and he gave us a good shot of energy, you know, a good boost in the studio, working on new songs. And you can imagine like, like a guy who played more than 20 years with Motorhead. Uh, uh, this album is more focused on the harder edge, you know, but what does it mean, the harder edge, when you listen to all those young bands today, then you go like, wow, man, <laughs> you talk like making a hard album, you know, oh no, you know, we're recording a Scorpions album, you know, and it's, uh, but it's focused on the harder edge on the, of the, of the band and uh, of the, of the harder spectrum of, of what we can do, you know, but uh, it's fun to have a guy like, like Mickey in the band and together with Pavel Machivora, the two of them, they are just a great, great backbone of the band. And when we play live, it's, it's so fun, you know, and just last couple of weeks in the studio were just amazing. That's great. And yeah, Mickey D you're right. He is legendary. And you know, the drummer's like the engine of the band, and uh, he just he just keeps it going. So I'm so glad that Mickey's in the band, and I'm glad that you're you're telling us that uh, you're you're energized with him there. So that's fantastic. Yes. After uh, after the 1993 album Face the Heat, you kind of did a little bit of a, a style change. You kind of really guys really got. I don't know if I want to say heavier or what, but what can we expect from the album you're recording right now? Are you going to take us back to the 80s heyday or what do we what can we expect take back to the 80s i think this was at least when we started thinking about making a new album we we tried to uh put ourselves back into the early 80s uh with albums like uh, blackout uh animal magnetism you know we tried to find the cool hard rocking riffs but also the heaviness in in some songs like uh, the title track of Animal Magnetism, you know, the kind of late back and uh, this is where we try to go, you know. And then of course you realize uh, it's one one thing to say, but it's a different story just to go more than thirty years ago right. and try to uh, try to bring back the whole vibe, you know. But I think. What we tried to do and what we achieved was to go back to this kind of attitude uh, and uh, to record the songs more or less live in the studio. The whole band in one room playing oh, together. Great. This is what we did in the old days and throughout the 80s, uh, working with Dieter Dirks. Uh, this is what we did back then. It makes a lot, it makes a difference, you know, when, when you have the band play the new songs. Uh, I mean, I was not singing every track like I did in the old days, right? Uh, thanks to Pro Tools and all that stuff. <laughs> but uh, but to have the band to play the track all together in one room that makes a huge difference, you know. And you can hear it in 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 the in the songs and in the performance. Cool. Yeah. I mean, fans always want their um, their favorite bands to to recapture those that golden years or when they first you know found the band. But as a 
as a band, you want to, you want to grow musically. So you want to satisfy yourself and also satisfy the fans. So it's a hard, you know, it's a tightrope you're walking on, but um, uh, I am looking forward to what Scorpions uh, have for us in 2021. Let's uh, let's talk about you and Rudolph. You guys have been together since the beginning. This might be the, maybe the longest personal and professional relationship you've ever had. Are you, are you married? Yeah, I am. I am. How, how long have you been married? Well, it's, it's 40, is it 40 years? Yeah, it's more than 40 years now. And so you've been, <laughs> you've been married to Rudolph a little bit longer. Yeah, a little bit longer. Yeah, exactly. That's are true. You, That's true. Are you, uh, are you and Rudolph, like, you know, some people have a working relationship. Are you and Rudolph, you, you got to be friends, I would assume. Don't let us down with your answer, Klaus. I assume you and Rudolph are tight. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was always with the Scorpions. The deal was always, it was based on friendship, you know. This is how we started. And I just, when I met Rudolf, he, he became like my soul brother, you know. My brother from another mother. <laughs> yeah. And uh, because he had the same vision and uh, he wanted to be with the band and he was so focused. Uh, and uh, in those days... There were many bands around, like around here in Hanover, West Germany at the time, and uh, many talented young musicians. And uh, but there were very few that were really so focused. And most of them just played for the weekend, you know, playing cover songs from all those famous British bands and uh, just playing the clubs over the weekend. And then you go back to the job on Monday and. Uh, this, this is what we did in the, in the early days as well. But uh, we knew when the time was right, you know, we wanted to be professionals. Right. You know, so the only professionals at the time were uh, bands who played dance music in dance halls, you know, yeah. and, and they were able to, to make some good money, you know, and playing uh, in the, those dance halls for hours and hours. And, uh, for the rock bands, it, it was tough, you know. You had to find your 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 own spot, and that was like between clubs and uh, places somewhere outside the big cities, you know, where the people from the countryside they went for the weekend, and everybody played cover versions at the yeah. time. Uh, but it was a good school of of learning uh, to be up on stage, to to work an audience, and uh, to to deal with all those songs before we started writing our own material, you know, but then uh, we played more gigs, we played more shows, the equipment became bigger, the truck became bigger, you know, and yeah. maybe uh, we even had not only one road crew member, but maybe two, you know, <laughs> and to put up all this stuff in those tiny little clubs, Where's the stage? Oh, the stage is over there in the corner, you know. It was little. Oh, this is the stage. Okay. And then people were hanging in the bar. The band started to play. Oh, come on over here, you know. Uh, it was really hard work and uh, with a lot of passion and a lot of confidence uh, to try to get out of Germany in the early 70s and just try in the Netherlands and in the UK or to we were throwing ourselves 
into the big game in a way, you know, not knowing if we would survive, you know, especially yeah. in, 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 in the UK when we played around 75, we had a, a young guy a, 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 as a manager. He was from Luxembourg and he, he worked in, in a bank. So he was kind of a serious guy. He was the only one who was wearing a tie and, you know, <laughs> and a suit and tie kind of thing. So, and he booked us a tour in, in the UK and, uh, we played not only the Kevin Club in Liverpool, but also the legendary Marquis in London. This was quite a challenge. It's a, see, that's the thing. When, when you finally do break in America, like I think the first time I maybe really saw you was when uh, There's No One Like You, the video was on MTV. So, you know, we at that point, we might think you're a brand new band. And then we go back and discover that, no, you've been doing this for almost 10 years you know but, <laughs> yeah. but also the great thing is then we can go back and discover all those records that we didn't know about the first album came out in 72 lonesome crow this might be a tough question to answer do you remember what the first song you and rudolph wrote together was mm, not really you know but yeah. it might have been like song like i'm going mad you know some of those early songs yeah. uh, that we released uh, on the first album, Lonesome Crow, in 72. So next year will be uh, the 50th anniversary of our being recording artists. Yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. um, it's unbelievable. So let me ask you about speaking German and learning English. Were you guys writing songs in German? And then did you have to translate have the lyrics translated to English? How did that work? It was impossible to write songs with German lyrics, you know. Mm. First of all, we were so very much inspired by, like I said, the British and American bands. And it was more like a sound okay. without even understanding every single word in, in those songs. It was a sound. It was a whole package. And guitar-oriented music, it had to be with English lyrics, whether you spoke the language or you didn't. Right. It was quite a trip, you know. I mean, I, I learned a good deal of English in school, but I was never, you know, in the early 70s, I mean, ready to, to write amazing lyrics, you know. It was just, I mean, with the help of my dictionary, you know, it was like, what is this and this and this? But I tell you, it sounds so funny, but but it's true. It was so the desire to write 
and sing in English was huge, you know, yeah. and no matter what, you know, don't forget being a German band, so many bands like the Scorpions, when they started playing, uh, they were singing uh, those songs with English lyrics and just picking up phonetically the yes. sound of the words, you know. I mean, we were standing on stage and it was like, where baby got to got Sammy, where got to send it out and where to say, you know, yeah. something like that. It was just like a phonetical kind of thing. And it worked, you know, yeah. and, uh, but to, to fill the phonetics with meaning, with words, that was quite a challenge for young, a young kid growing up in Hanover, West Germany. But we did, you know, yeah. and, uh, we worked our way through these times, but there was never a question uh, to write in, in um, German. Uh, and it, it wouldn't work anyway, right. you know, because somebody asked me today, Klaus, how you say rock you like a hurricane in German? And I go, rocken euch wie ein Wirbelsturm. How you can sing that? <laughs> uh, well, I, the reason I brought that up is because I want people to realize as a young band, it was easy for you to to go out and and learn uh, a Beatles song, the words phonetically. But to actually then to like you said, to write a song and have you know rhyming words and and melody and meaning and and emotion, a very very difficult thing. And you guys, that's you guys wanted it so much that you you put that work in too. I mean, so that that's like a whole thing that other bands don't have to struggle through, and you guys did it. So you know, I'm just giving another tip of the hat for for yeah. all those things that you guys. Uh, it's pretty crazy when you think about it. it really is, you know. And uh, the thing is, growing up in post-war Germany, uh, it had it was like a breaking out of your your own little world, you know, and uh, the way playing music, singing songs with English lyrics, it was like breaking away from your own little familiar background uh, and growing up like in the 50s. And I mean, like World War II was just over, you know, and our, our parents were about to build up the country again. So, and getting a little older growing up being a teenager uh, or maybe even before you you realize what our parents generation what they went through so there was nothing to be proud proud about of your yeah. own country you know so for us to sing with english lyrics even if they had no meaning at all you know right. it was like breaking away from this of Germany, you know, and to connect with the world of music, to connect with the world outside, and hopefully they to make there to to match uh, and join the class of rock and roll with all the great artists that inspired us to start, you know, and so I think looking back, there's a much deeper meaning why we made this way why we we started and i mean all those were singing in english but it changed later throughout the 80s when 
Scorpions became famous in America, a new wave of, of German music started where everybody, every band was working with German lyrics, you know, and it was in the, like some newspaper or music paper said, is Klaus Meiner the last German singer who sings in English <laughs> because everybody was successful with German lyrics, right? You know, but we played Mason Square Garden singing, you know, big hits like uh, Still Loving You or uh, Blackout or No One Like You, you know. Yeah. So, uh, we went totally, we were on a different route into our professional life, you know. Now, as you tell me about uh, your love for American music and British music and how you, that's what, that was the goal to break in America. So. Yeah. I mean, of course, first of all, it was to break outside of Hanover, you know, okay, to, to yeah, play a show in Berlin or in Hamburg, right. you know. And then, like I said, and then going, when we went to the UK in 75, we saw all of a sudden I mean, even the newspapers in 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 London, they they said like uh, Blitzkrieg, Heil Hitler, the Germans were here, you know, this kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but overall, they paid us a lot of respect, and uh, and it was like when we came home, it was like, yes, we're we're strong enough, we're good enough, we we can do what we do, and they take us serious. And there's an audience, and they go crazy when we play. So Scorpions were always a live band. Yeah. You know, so we came home, even if back home people were okay. We always had our fans in Germany too, you know. Yeah. But for our uh for our own feeling, you know, to 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 found so much respect uh from the fans like in the UK, that was like this putting the compass in direction, let's go not only to America, but also all over the world, you know, but America was like, it was a dream. And yep. when we said to our first producer, Connie Plank in 72, when we said one day, Connie, we play in America, he said, ha, <laughs> you guys, you have no idea. You <laughs> think they wait for a band like from Hanover, West Germany? No way. You know, so it was like a, a dream. But when we, we talked about it, and especially Rudolf had this vision. One day we hopefully we will be maybe be will belong with the best hard rock bands in the top twenty, top fifty, whatever you know. Yeah. Now, Klaus, he believes strongly in it. Well, it, it, you have to have that belief, or or you won't do it. You won't make it. But I want to yeah. I want to cut the whole way then to nineteen ninety. It's eighteen years after the first record. The song Wind of Change, which was written, music and lyrics, by Klaus. The world is closing in Did you ever think That we could be so close Like brothers The future's in the air
It goes to number four on the U.S. charts, top five. I mean, that must have been, I don't even know how that would feel. How did you feel when you finally got a song like that in the top five on the American charts? After all this time, you've been successful, but here's this song and boom, top five, top five song. Yeah, we were very successful in America because we toured endlessly in America year after year after year. And uh, we learned our, our lessons in the early days from great artists like Ted Nugent. You know, we toured with Aerosmith, ACDC, all those great, yeah. great bands. And so we learned our, our bit of show, show, showmanship lesson, so to speak. And then before we came a headliner in the United States ourselves, with Bon Jovi opening up for us. And uh, we felt like we were on top of the world when we played Mason Square Garden. And we had a couple of hits along the way. Like I said, No One Like You was a big Absolutely. Uh, radio hit in the States. Uh, MTV was giving us really like uh, a good uh, heavy heavy play. What, what do you say? Heavy play? Heavy, heavy, heavy rotation, play? I think. Is heavy what rotation. Heavy yeah. rotation. So they gave us always heavy rotation on our songs and so we were used uh, to this kind not not used i mean to this how can you get used to success i don't <laughs> right, know but, right right you know what i mean but uh we made the scorpions became like a household name in a way on rock radio and with window of change it was different i mean this song went live in on the billboard charts and all of a sudden, we were played on adult radio, you know? Yes. And so in, in America, you have those this, this different formats, you know? And uh, I remember when we came on tour and when we promoted Crazy World and we were invited to come to those adult stations where they played, of course, Wind of Change. I mean, most DJs, they couldn't spell our name. They had yeah. no idea. It was the first time they, <laughs> they, they met the Scorpions, you know. But we were almost, we were for 10 years, uh, we played all over the United States. We were played on rock radio day, every other day, day and night. And uh, so here we are presenting Wind of Change on adult radio, and they don't know who we are, you know. So funny. <laughs> So funny. But I tell you, of course, I try to answer your question. It felt like crazy, you yeah. know. After all that, it felt time, like crazy. Yeah, it's still. But there success. were many moments, uh, especially throughout the eighties, uh, where it was like, it looks like we we made it, you know, to yeah. the top of the world. Like when you, yeah, the headliner in Madison Square Garden. Uh, we, I guess we played three shows there, 84. Uh, this is like, it's cr- totally crazy, you know, and you really feel like you're on top of the world. We invited our parents to come over to, to see the show because we wanted to to share this success with our families, you know, and uh, had our girlfriends, wives, you know, and uh, parents with us and uh, they couldn't believe it either <laughs> fantastic i never yeah. forget that moment when my father walked uh, fifth avenue you know and they my parents they were never on 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 any flight you know so all of a sudden coming over to the united states they were on on a jumbo jet flying 
across the ocean and uh, see their kid uh, playing Madison Square Garden with a thousand of kids going crazy. That's fantastic. My father walked down Fifth Avenue saying, wow, I think I could live here as well. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Let me ask you, since you brought your parents up, when you were uh, when you were first starting out, you know, and you're growing the hair long and, and you're singing rock and roll music, were they supportive of your career choice? Because they sound like they were obviously of a different generation, so they might not understand this. Yeah, my father, uh, he was a gardener, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and he played with his friends like today. I mean, I would say house music, you know, mm-hmm. at the weekend for the family. He played mandolin, okay. you know, his friend played guitar and his son played uh, accordion, you know, and and they had that little, I, I don't know if that was a band, but my father was singing, playing mandolin, so in a way like a lead guitar kind of guy, uh-huh. you know, but it was always a hobby. It was a hobby and uh, he couldn't imagine when I started getting more into music that I could make a living out of it. You know, yeah. my father was more skeptical, even though he was so close to music. He inspired me to mm. pick up the guitar and he showed me the first chords on, on, a, on, a, on an old uh, acoustic guitar. Uh, but he, he couldn't imagine that his son was going to become a professional and earning a way of life and make make his life with music was impossible for so he was very skeptical my mother was more supportive you know and yeah. uh, she was uh, i th- think she could see what i was doing my father was more critical and skeptical mm-hmm. but the more they laughed when they both came to new york and saw what the band was doing and uh, I think they must have been very proud that moment. And of course, when I think back, if that feels really good. I think all parents don't understand sometimes that you can make a living uh, doing something that is fun. You know what I mean? Something, yeah. that, something yeah. that, um, and, and, and that's, that's the old saying, if you find something you love, then you, you'll never work a day in your life, even though we know that it is work, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yes, uh, Absolutely. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. So, I want to go to 1975. You guys start a 10 album relationship with producer Dieter Dirks. How did you hook up with this guy? And what did he, what did he bring to the party at that point? Well, Dieter saw the Scorpions when we played like a show near Cologne. Uh, He had a studio uh, 20 minutes outside of Cologne, little village called mm-hmm. Stommel. Uh, he had a studio there and he worked with a couple of bands at the time who, who were, yeah, I don't want to say famous, but uh, they were well known. Okay. And we, we were nobody compared to some of the bands he had worked with. So 
when we met with him, he came to see the band and uh, obviously he liked the show and he invited us to the studio. We had a meeting with him. And so it turned out he wanted to, to get into this and work with the band. And the first thing we had to do was so strange because uh, he wanted us to do a cover of the British glam band Sweet. The Sweet, you know? Yeah. Uh, they had a couple hits at the time. Uh, and uh, Fox on the Run, for example. Right. And uh, he wanted us to do a version with, with German words, you know? Uh -huh. And he, he they had the lyrics, everything. And even when I said that we never recorded a song in German, but yeah. there we started our run with Dieter with recording two songs in German, two cover songs for, for this band, The Sweet, you know? And I guess it was just because he wanted to check if if we were good enough, if we, if we could pull this off and, right. and, and make it work. And the band could, and the singer could as well. So, and I guess he was pretty satisfied with what he heard. And, and that's when, after that, we started getting into uh, recording together, working together on in trance. Uh, and so Dieter, he was very professional. And we had worked with the legendary Connie Plank for our very first album, mm -hmm. who produced like bands like Kraftwerk and so on. Uh, the second album was like uh, was a friend from Hanover who was in there. The engineer was became very famous later on. Reinhold Mack, called yeah. Mack. He worked with Queen, Queen and the Rolling yeah, Stones. Absolutely, he was the engineer of Flight to Rainbow. But with Dieter, the first time we had a producer who, who was in his own studio, and he was there from the morning till the late evening, and he was taking care of everything. And he was, he was very good uh, with, with vocals, you know. And he, he, I remember he said to me in the early days, I, I know, Klaus, you have a nice voice, but when you sing this song, I want to believe it, you know. Make me believe it. Wow. You know, it's not only that you can sing well, you know, and hit all the high notes and all this. It's not enough. I want to believe every word you say, every word you sing, you know? And uh, he worked with me a lot on phrasings. Uh, phrasing was something in the early days, it was not a big deal, you know? But with Dieter, he made sure the phrasing was top-notch, you know? He, he worked with, uh, 
with uh, Rudolf and uh, Matthias joined the band three years later. You know, it was Uli John Roth yeah. who was the guitar player. And Uli was also a very outstanding guitar player. He was just amazing, you know, and he yeah, still is. Absolutely. Uh, so, and I think at the time when we met with Dieter, it, there were two versions of the Scorpions. It was the Scorpions where Uli came up with the music. He wrote the songs and, and Uli was always very much influenced by Jimi Hendrix. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and the way he was singing, it was like more like a blues singer. And this was one side of the band. The other side of the band was Rudolf, Rudolf Schenker and myself. You know, when we tried also to move forward and we, we found also our own way becoming a songwriter team, you know. So our yeah. songs had like uh, his own expression and Uli's songs. And Dieter Dirks had to put it all very sensitive and, and subtle. He had to put it all together and make it one band, you know, and which yeah. was actually very interesting. And the result, I think, uh, I think a lot of people were blown away by that album. Yeah. And it was the first album that uh, had this, the Scorpion sound, you know, when, what later, later on became very successful throughout the 80s. This was the first moment uh we we had the ability to 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 write songs like in trance uh or uli came up with dark lady you know some crazy rocker where <laughs> i shared the vocals with uli together <laughs> You know, so it 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 was very special, you yeah. know, and, and a lot of people uh, really enjoyed the band because of that, because it was so, so, both parties were so different. And when we played live, you can imagine it, it was crazy. It was fantastic. And, uh, but later on, throughout the 70s, later on, uh, when it was clear that Uli wanted to leave the band, 
to start his own career with his own music and to follow his his own road you know uh it was clear that uh uh it became more and more difficult to put these yeah. two parties together you know so you but there were go... no bad vibes you know we really appreciated the 70s with Uli until Tokyo Tapes, first time we played in Japan, recorded our first live album there. And uh, it was exciting. Those days were very exciting. Uh, to recap, uh, Dieter uh, felt that you were technically and sonically an amazing singer. He just wanted you to bring the emotion to the words. Yeah, correct. Okay. absolutely. So uh, he, was, he was like uh, a teacher when you go to... Uh, where they teach, like, become a great actor, you know? Yeah. And he gave me, like, uh, for example, like a cork from the bottle of wine. You have the cork on top, Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And he gave me the cork, put it in my mouth, and said, Klaus, uh, now you you got to talk to me. Now you got to talk and try to ring out the words. That you know, is... So I had to make... <laughs> That's quite Vocal an exercise. Lesson. Yeah. Okay, go yeah, ahead. It's some exercise, you know. So Dita was was pretty good at that, you know. And uh, I think he uh, was very good the way I I learned uh, my way through all those years and getting a better singer, you know, yeah. and uh, a, better, a better singer the way I express myself in the words and the music, you know. And uh, Dita was, was great at that. Uh, in trance, I, I love that album. That's also the first time we see the Scorpions logo. I think that's the first time. That's the logo you guys use uh, from from then on within trance. Yeah, and uh, top of the bill is one of my favorite songs off in trance. You and Rudolph wrote that. <laughs> But I want to, and then you guys do, uh, you do like three, three studio albums and then Tokyo Tapes, the live album. And I want to talk about the live album just a little bit because I, I don't feel that this album uh, gets enough credit. For me, there's, there's tons of great live albums. Frampton Comes Alive, Chief Trick at Budokan, uh, UFO, Strangers in the Night, Kiss Alive. And I feel that this Scorpion's Tokyo Tapes should be always talked about with those other albums because this is a fantastic live album and it really it puts it really puts a cap on the uh the yuli john roth period and it it shows yeah. it shows everyone like you said how those two musical things come together 
live and it's fantastic. Yeah, Uli, Uli didn't want to go to Japan, you know. It's, when this offer came, and I, I think it was Dita who uh, made it happen that we co- could play in, in, in Japan and that we recorded the uh, Tokyo tapes. Uli was about to leave and I really had to to work hard on him uh, to convince him that this would be a great moment for us, even if he would leave right. after Japan, you know, so we could make an album and just uh, keep this moment in time, you know. And uh, later on, he agreed that it was the right thing to do. But at the time, he, he was not very happy. And we were like, yeah, he was not 100% sure if we had an offer let's say to play steam rock fever you know <laughs> it was not it was not only at all you know okay. so it was like too much he was doing sales of sharon and uh and uh drifting sun and so many songs that had his his soul you know and he was right. so involved and he couldn't make the connection anymore you know that it was time to to split up there well, I'm glad you convinced him because this is a nice, uh, it's a nice time capsule of that era of the band. And I would just say, just, just listen to a song like uh, Pictured Life on that album and, and you'll just be blown away. I mean, the whole, the whole album is fantastic. So you put that uh, you put this live album behind you, and and Yuli leaves, and Michael comes back for for a little while for Love Drive, and um, you guys get signed to Mercury Records in America, and Love Drive goes gold. Yeah. So there you now is that the first gold? That's the first gold album, I believe. No, the first gold album was Virgin Killer in Japan. Oh, Virgin Killer in Japan, but in in America yeah. is Love Drive the first gold album. Yes, yes, okay. yes. And that was a huge step, you know, and uh, yeah. with Matthias in the band and with all the in and out with Michael Schenker, yeah, which was like crazy. And I mean, when, when I look back, you know, we were on tour and like two hours before the show started, there was no lead guitarist, you know, and uh, there were thousands of people in some French cities, some venues, waiting for the band to, to, to show up. And we couldn't because Michael just left us again and again. These, and, uh, these are stories that I hear about Michael Shanker back in the day. UFO has the same stories. And um, oh, really? 
he seems like he he really walks to the beat of his own drummer, Michael Shanker. Yeah, he was a drama queen. Yeah. And it was always a big thing when he came back. Oh, Michael, you're back. Oh, great. You know, so. And, uh, but it didn't work out and it was really for the better. And uh, we were lucky that we found Matthias, Matthias mm-hmm. Jabs. And he was much more like a team player. Yeah. You know, and uh, from there on. And of course, Michael had his part. And part of the success of Love Drive, right? Uh, I must credit, and we all must credit to Michael. Mm-hmm. He played some amazing stuff on Love Drive, "Loving You Sunday Morning," "Coast to Coast," "Holiday," all those songs. was pure magic you know and uh so he deserves that the credit from the heart you know right uh but after that it, it was time to to have a band and not uh, like something that is so fragile and we couldn't make any plans anymore with michael you know so right. it came to an end even if it was a family issue as well but it came to an end, and with Matthias, uh, we became a very solid band throughout the 80s with Matthias, uh, Francis, and Herman. And uh, together with Dieter Dirks, we had an amazing run of success. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think people would call that, uh, for lack of a better term, they would call that the classic lineup, I yes. guess, of, uh, of Scorpions. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I was watching some of the old videos last night on TV, uh, Scorpions videos, and uh, my wife and my 16-year-old daughter happened to come in the room. And when Matthias came on the screen, they both said, that guy's really cute. (laughs) (laughs) That's my wife who's in her 50s and my daughter who's 16. They were were feeling the uh, heartthrob aspect of Matthias. I just wanted to share that because... That that cracked me up a little bit, um, but yeah, uh, yeah, you're right though. Uh, Loving you Sunday morning is so good, and that instrumental that Michael and Rudolph wrote, Coast to Coast, is excellent. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Love Drive is fantastic. Mm-hmm. 
was it Dieter's idea to keep these albums to like eight or nine songs? Because through the 80s, you guys seem to keep it at like around nine songs, which I think is perfect because there's no there's no filler. It's it's all yeah. I mean, what again, uh, it, all fill, all killer, no filler. But there's no fat on these albums. Every single song, every single note, you don't fast forward through any of these songs. They're they're just it's just perfect rock albums. It's amazing. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's today it's hard to believe, you know, you had those two sides on a vinyl record yeah. with four four songs on each side, something like that, you know. Yeah, and the album But it's true, you know, it's like they 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 were all strong songs and we tried from album to album to to get get better at the songwriting. And uh and the albums do get you do get better because well, album sales indicate that you're getting better because 1980 Animal Magnetism that album goes platinum in the U.S. Yeah, and uh, and and this this album produces what I feel is your first real big signature song with the Zoo. Yes, and absolutely. That's a song because you- those songs were so very much inspired from touring in America. You know, like I said, for us it was like a dream come true to to discover America through the tour bus window, you know. We were for months on the road and to get to discover America, you know, that way, you know, you you on the bus, you after the show, you get on your bunk, you know, you wake up maybe early in the morning, you know, you sit maybe alone in the bus, uh, maybe some leftover guys from last night still on party. <laughs> You know, yeah. and you you're driving through the Rocky Mountains, you know, or a beautiful sunrise in Texas, you know, uh, or in Arizona, you know. So so many pictures, and when we came back home, uh, and when we were about to go back to the studio, so it was so much. Uh, it was so inspiring, you know. And a song like the Zoo is about Forty Second Street, New York City. This is when. Our managers from Labor Crabs, uh, when we we came there to New York City for the very first time, they they said to us, "Come on, guys, we take you for a walk. Uh, we go to the zoo tonight." And we said, "We go to zoo animals and stuff. Come on, right. you know." <laughs> and uh, it turned out it to be Forty uh, Second Street. Wow! And uh, I thought it was so cool, and uh, I wrote the lyrics for the zoo, you know, and. Uh, so there were so many moments and so many songs that were inspired so very directly by, by touring America because it was also new and uh, it felt so good. And it was just, it was just crazy, you know, and to, to write songs about it. When you and Rudolph write a song like The Zoo, do you just look at each other and think this, this is going to be a great song to play live? People are going to love this song. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when Rudolf played that riff, uh, it's really such a killer riff, you yeah. know. And it had exactly uh, what I was talking about earlier, the kind of laid-back heaviness. Even though when I listen to the recorded version today, I think it's, it's, it's a little fast, you know. I think when we play it live, this is the kind of song that was growing uh, 
after the recording sessions, when we went out on the road, when we played those songs live, the songs, they were growing and became even stronger, even better, you know. And yeah, uh, yeah. But this heavy riff, it needed some really cool lyrics, you know. And I think it was Dieter Dirks who went, who went out before the album was mixed. He went out to New York and he, uh, for some business trips, whatever. And he went on 42nd Street with a little recorder and he recorded some he recorded some street noise. Oh, nice. You know, when you hear people talking, so in the fade out of the song, you can hear people talking in the streets, you know, blah, 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 blah. So you guys didn't create that in the studio. That's actually real audio that he captured. That's real audio from Excellent. 42nd Street. Yeah. Um, some other great songs on Animal Magnetism. It kicks off with Make It Real, which is fantastic. <laughs> And then the title track, Animal Magnetism, that's like, a, it's a very, uh, I don't know what word, hypnotic, I guess I would use. Yeah. Yeah, I just love it. You guys, uh, the thing about Scorpions too, you, you know, a lot of hard rock and heavy metal bands won't record a ballad, but you guys were okay with leaning into your mellower side, you know, with a song like Lady Starlight. Like you guys didn't shy away from that. You know, like ACDC's never going to record a ballad, but you I guys know. and your voice, you can do that. You can do both of those things. So that was pretty yes, cool. Yes, exactly. Uh, and that's, that was, I think, this was all about, you know. There are a lot of bands out there, they have great screamers, you know, screaming out the, the vocals for the songs. Right. I always wanted to be a great screamer myself, you know, <laughs> because my voice was always like a, like a tenor kind of voice. 
And in the early days, I always tried to to push my voice very hard to sound like John Lennon singing "Twist and Shout," you know, shaking right. a baby now this kind of. But my voice was too clean, you know, and to to try to push it hard. I did in all those years, and I think I I became a pretty good screamer myself. But I also had this tenor voice, and Dieter discovered that I could also use this voice and sing a ballad, you know. And uh, I always enjoyed doing ballads, and I always enjoyed doing harmonies on those songs. And on, on, on many of those Dirk songs, had tons and tons of harmonies, and right. every single word uh, was the voice I recorded. And uh, and Dieter enjoyed harmonies as well. So. And the, the balance between the hard rocking stuff like the dynamites on Blackout. Other songs and and ballads like like you said, Lady Starlight, when the smoke is going down on blackout and all that, they made a perfect balance, you know. And uh, we could see it also in the concerts where it was not only the the male audience but also the female audience showed up very soon after that as well, lots, you know. Lots and of girls it, it, it was great. Yep, lots of girls in the crowd, and those are uh, often featured in uh, some of your live video clips. I always get the girls down front. I want to move to uh, to Blackout. This album also goes platinum. And this is your real first proper video clip directed by Marty Kallner for No One Like You. You actually, you have to do a little bit of acting, Klaus. You're a, you're a prisoner. Yeah. Uh, did you guys have fun filming that clip? Or did you guys think it was silly? No, it was a lot of fun, you know, because uh, I think 
we told David Krebs, our manager, if we do a video for that song, we want to do it on relocation, you know? Yeah. And uh, turned out to be uh, Alcatraz. Amazing. Uh, which was such an adventure to spend the whole night on that island uh, filming. Uh, it was just great. It worked so well with the song. And uh, we had an electric chair with us from the film crew put it up there for me to electrocute it, to be <laughs> electrocuted on that electric chair. And in the morning, uh, the first boat with two uh, and, and the Japanese tourists started taking pictures of the electric chair. They thought it was Al Capone. It was got on, on the grill there, you know. Yeah. It was an uh, amazing night and uh, it was a lot of fun. And it was like an adventure, you know. Can you imagine you spent the whole night on Alcatraz, you know? Who gets to with all that? the fog in the yeah. bay, you know, and, and see the city in the distance. Uh, it, it was a pretty cool first video, I would say. Yeah, and then Rudolph gets to uh, recreate uh, the album cover. That's Rudolph, right, in the video yeah. with, with the forks. I always, I always used to think that was Rudolph on the album cover, but it's not. No, that's Gottfried Helmwein on the album cover, the artist who who came up with this artwork. It, basically, it was a self-portrait of Gottfried Helmwein. And, uh, but it turned out that it uh, would have looked pretty much alike. And when we had like, uh, for some kind of, uh, we had a meeting where was some press and stuff, to promote Gottfried Helmwein's uh, artwork and pictures and stuff. And Rudolf, uh, that was years later, Rudolf just dressed like he did uh, in the No One Like You video. Nice. He just dressed like him. And so the TV people came to Rudolf saying, uh, so Mr. Helmwein, uh, <laughs> tell us more about your beautiful artwork here, <laughs> you know? And, and the real Helmwein was standing next to Rudolf saying, but that's me, you know? <laughs> That's a, I like that story. That's excellent. Um, many great songs on Blackout. It's just so good, top to bottom. Just Can't Live Without You is fantastic. must be so difficult to put a set list together Klaus because there's so many songs that you you have to play or the fans would be disappointed but then you also want to you know put in new songs and maybe some deep cuts from uh you know the later albums it, is it a group effort who makes the set list does everyone have a say yeah i mean we do it all together in a way but more or less I do. You'll get uh, special 
especially when you think about those schedules touring for months and months and months and you try to get through uh the schedule with your voice right uh it's uh it's an important part of the whole setting to find a great working set list uh, where you find the balance between the up-tempo songs and the the hard rocking stuff and and the ballads and you don't want to play too many ballads even though you may have some in your pocket right. but you have to maybe a few a little give a touch of the feeling you know exactly uh, and uh, find a good balance and the way it works through the set um it always comes down that uh, that in the end of the day it, it's me who presents a set list to the guys and uh, we talk together but of course they have to say oh, maybe we should do this or we should do that and then we check it out in the rehearsals if it works you know but for me it's most important that we find a good good working set that right. gives me enough power and thank you uh Michael and Rudolf for Coast to Coast gives me a little breather <laughs> yes. uh, in the yeah. set. Uh, make sure uh, I'm on my on my I'm still standing on my feet and belting out those high tunes in the last show out of 200 maybe you know. Yeah, I always say when you go see a live show, the singer, the singer has to be good because if the keyboard player or the bass player or if someone else makes a mistake, Klaus. I'm probably not going to know, but if the singer makes a mistake, everyone knows. So you have to be, you have to be tip top at all times. Yeah, you have to, which is difficult. But on the other side, fortunately, the rock audience is not too picky about all these right. singers' issues. You know, yeah. they're not too picky when I compare myself with with. Big artists like Luciani Pavarotti, you know, <laughs> when he's not hitting the the big C, yeah, uh, then it, it's a disaster, you know. Right. So right. if the rock singer is not hitting the 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 high high notes, uh, it's not a total disaster, you know. But I know what you mean. Yeah. You always try to perform the way you expect it from yourself, you know, and to go through it and give the, the best show you can. And sing your your ass off, you know, right. and yeah. uh, and you go through highs and lows in a long career, and you have your battles. You have to fight your battles and get through this, and and along the way, you get to know many vocal doctors and vocal coaches and all that. That's also part of the whole thing, you know. Yeah. But the best is when you can you go out there and you feel well, you feel strong. And you know you're you're confident about your voice, and you can do with your voice what you want to do. You know, then yeah. that it's especially getting older. It's a tough it's a tough one for singers. It's a tough challenge. Yeah, um, we have uh, we have hit our allotted time, Klaus. But I do want to just cover. I mean, there's many, many, many albums that come next. But I guess a good place to close it out would be with "Love at First Sting." This goes three times platinum, and this is your this is the most successful uh, selling Scorpions album in America. So let's just uh, let's just talk a little bit about. Uh, I mean, this was massive album, so popular, and that opening riff to "Rock You Like a Hurricane" is just incredible. 
did you tour in support of this album this this had to be the biggest tour right yeah i guess it was bigger between uh 84 86 we won the road we also we recorded worldwide live yeah i think when you take a look at the, the inner sleep of the worldwide live album <clears throat> uh it's this tour never ends you know it's, it's just <laughs> right. amazing and uh yeah love it first thing became very very successful and we had an amazing photo session in Paris with Helmut Newton, uh, who did the, the cover, the artwork. Yeah. And uh, he was also like a legendary photographer. And uh, the whole album uh, is so special. And because of Rock You Like a Hurricane and also Still Loving You, it became such a monster hit, you know, all over the world. And Big City Nights, too. Yeah, yeah, yes. It's another in a string of amazing Scorpion albums. I mean, you know, some bands might have a great album and then the next one's it's okay. And then, then they have a great one again, but you guys really through this period, you guys really stayed strong all the way through. Like you guys were just, it was like such a magic period for you guys. And you guys are still making great music, crazy world and face the heat and, and just, you know, everything you guys just still, are challenging yourselves as artists. And I think yes. that's what keeps uh, keeps it fresh for you and keeps it fresh for me, a fan. So yes, I'm very excited. Uh, for, do you have a title for the new album? Do you guys know we yet? We have, but I, I, I can't give it away right can't now. can't give it away. I was hoping to get I an cannot. exclusive. <laughs> no, I cannot. <laughs> All right. Uh, Klaus, let me ask you this. So if you were to choose one Scorpion song, for me to use as our playout song, what would it be for you? Uh, well, I think the zoo would be cool. All right, the zoo it is. Uh, Klaus, let me quick tell everyone where to find things about scorpions. Go to the-scorpions.com and you can follow the band on Twitter, at scorpions. And I'm looking forward to everything you guys do in the future, Klaus, uh, 
I hope you guys are staying safe and healthy in Germany through the pandemic. Yes, 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 absolutely. Excellent. Like I said, we're just working uh, in the studio on the new album. And uh, we're pretty much done. We started mixing already. And uh, I mean, we're looking so very much forward to come back to the United States. Unfortunately, our Las Vegas shows were postponed again this year to okay. March. March and April next year, you know, but uh, uh, the plan is not to only come back to Vegas, but hopefully later 2022 uh, to come for, for a tour. And uh, we go all over the world with a new album, I guess. If we all stay healthy, you all stay healthy. Know, knock on wood, that's the most important thing. And hopefully all, all our fans out there, watch out, stay safe and take care of yourselves and Hopefully we see all of you again out on the road. Thank you, Klaus. And if, uh, uh, hey, I might get to those one of those shows in Las Vegas because Los Angeles to Las Vegas, that's not too far away, you know? And if, no, I, do, no. if I do, I'm going to try to say hello to you in person. So. Yeah, yes, please, please do, uh, Pat. Uh, we'll put you on the guest list. No question about it. Thank you so much, Klaus. And everybody, please enjoy the zoo. Three, three, call it a zoo. 
Hi, this is Klaus Meine. This is Roshank of the Scorpion. Next year we'll be rocking you. So you better watch out.